Happy New Year, Rafer. Happy New Year, Kristen. It's 2015. Oh, my gosh. The first podcast of 2015. Yes. Listeners, we apologize that this is coming out late, but, you know, we we were celebrating. We were doing all you have to do to say goodbye to 2014. That's right. Was 2014 a good year for you, Rafer? 2014 was, uh, you know, it was a mixed bag, a mixed bag for me. A lot of, uh, a lot of good things I did. As, I'm, as I told everyone here, I, I published my very first crossword in Newsday. Life, so cool. Lifelong dream. Um, a lot of good things happening. My, uh, my kids are now both finally out of private nursery school, preschool. Wow, that which, saves you like $800,000 a year, right? I'm now rich. <laughs> and that's going to be great. I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy uh, new boxers. I'm going to buy uh, some T-shirts. I'm going to buy a sweater. Oh, I'm going to – ah, it's going to be great. Oh, it's going to be so good. Some socks maybe. Just go crazy. Exactly. Right exactly. Just go nuts. So that's, that's all been good. How about you? You know, 2014 was pretty great for me. Yeah? It kind of – you know, I was looking back and I was thinking, wow, 2014 kind of kicked – the ass of 2013. It was so good. 2013 was rough for you? You know, there were a lot of downs in 2013, but 2014, good stuff. I'm glad know? to hear that. Adventures, two international trips, uh-huh. um, love. I also... Um, love, she oh, says. Oh, I'm horrible. I'm going to stop. That's horrible. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> oh, and then, you know, something that I thought was a really great way to end the year. I was in Arizona with my sister, her husband and kids. And on New Year's Eve, we lit lanterns and we released all the worries of 2014 off into the sky so that we could make room in our hearts for all the good stuff ahead. So That's so symbolic. You're real. You're in, you're into that. You're, I sound you're like a, a freaking hippie. I'm, no, no, I sound no. like I'm from your part of the world now, from California. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. You've got ritual and sim- symbolism. I think all that's all that's good. It was a great way to say goodbye to the year. And yeah, 2014 was fantastic for me. But was it a good year for movies, Rafer? Well, you know, I had a lot of doubts during the first <laughs> half of 2014 because there's always this little nagging feeling in my in my head every every month, every month and a half. I think, God, what is my top ten going to look like? Am I going <laughs> to get to the? Is this going to get any better? Yeah, am I going to get to the end of the year? It's just going to be all these movies that I thought were kind of okay because nothing else was better. Taken two, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There were some moments where I kind of thought, like, boy, I don't know. Maybe the equalizer is going to end up on my top ten. <laughs> Everything else has been so bad. That's not quite true. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, I think Hollywood kind of pulled through and gave us some pretty darn good movies. Yeah. Well, each of us came up with a top ten list. There's a little bit of crossover not, on our list. Not as much as in previous years. I know. You thought that half of our lists, if not most, were going to cross over, and you were wrong this year, Ray. I was wrong. All right. Let's see if we can get through all the items on our top ten list. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday, and this is the first movie date of 2015. to get through here, Rafer. We do. So I think what we should do is just kind of do a countdown from 10 all the way to number one, and then we'll play clips of the films and just talk about them. Talk about why my list is better than yours, why your <laughs> list is inferior, you know, all that. Kristen, it's a new year. <laughs> Make a resolution. 
to be I'm less be nicer to Rafer snarky. This year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. I'm nice to you. Come on. Oh, all right. Okay. Okay. So let's hear your number ten. Number ten. You're not going to be nice about this, are you? Number ten is Guardians of the Galaxy. I thought this was a really, a really great film. This is the movie about a misfit band of intergalactic heroes. Chris Pratt as Star Lord, Bradley Cooper as Rocket Raccoon, Zoe Saldana as Gamora. They've got to. Well, it doesn't really matter what they've got to do, but they've got to solve some kind of mission. And of course, the best part is all the great character interaction. Here's a clip. We have to stop Ronan. How? I have a plan. You've got a plan. Yes. First of all, you're copying me from when I said I had a plan. No, I'm not. People say that all the time. It's not that unique of a thing to say. Secondly, I don't even believe you have a plan. I have part of a plan. What percentage of a plan do you have? What I liked about this movie is it seemed like a fresh way to approach the superhero genre. It was funny. It had a great pop soundtrack. I thought it had a lot of energy. I really enjoyed it. Kristen? Chris Pratt looked good, and I liked the soundtrack. But let's <laughs> okay. talk about my number 10 movie on the list, Under the Skin. Under sh- the Skin is the... St- oh, look at you shaking your Shocking head. choice. No, I hated this film. I know you did. But you know what? Scarlett Johansson was great in it. We got to interview her about the movie. But regardless of what we said to Scarlett Johansson and what she said to us, I just thought it was something so unusual, something like I've never seen before. We have an alien outer space kind of sex predator woman in Glasgow where I can't understand what half the people are saying. <laughs> That's right. And all of the ways that humanness gets imitated in this movie, so bizarre. Here's a clip. You have a handsome face. Uh, yeah. Thanks a lot, Jess. You think I'm pretty? I like it, gorgeous. Do you? I definitely. Good. Scarlett Johansson, barely saying anything, being a physical body and imitating humanness, Really fascinating, really strange, really like this movie. I would give it points for definitely one of the best scores of the year, if not one of the better scores I've ever heard by Micah Levy, uh, the leader of Mikachu and the Shapes. Yeah. Uh, that's The score in that film is fantastic. It's so bizarre. It's so, so bu- good. So it's bizarre. so good and so bizarre. Not yeah. enough to make my top ten, though. Ugh. All right. Number nine. I chose a film that you uh, suggested I watch that we talked about on this podcast and that I wound up loving, Dear White People. First-time film from Justin Simeon. It's about uh, a group of uh, collegians, black, white, other, all at uh, Winchester University, a kind of Harvard-esque college. They're all just kind of being thrown together, trying to make sense of the what's supposed to be the post-racial climate that we're living through now, but which these kids know isn't really the case. Here's a clip. It's part of Winchester's mission statement to prepare our students for a global community. So it's very important that they interact with the same amount of people of color that they would outside of our school. Two, three, even up to four blacks on a regular basis. I'm surprised, Kristen, that you're not agreeing with me on this one. I like this movie, Rafer. I like it quite a bit. But something that you and I said when we first reviewed this movie is it's very raw and it's very rough around the edges. You can tell it's a first-time film. You that, can. That doesn't mean it's not a good film. I think it's a good film, but I just I couldn't make room on my top ten list for it. All right. What's your What's your number nine? My number nine I had to make room for because it made me cry. And so much of my list this year is about feeling deeply. Oh, I, no. Yes. What is it going to be? The Fault in Our Stars. Arg. You know, this is the story of a teenage girl who is dealing with a life-threatening illness, and she gets to fall in love with somebody else who has a life-threatening illness. And what does it feel like when you only have so much time left to love somebody 
What does it feel like to be loved when you don't know how much longer you're going to live? Here's a clip. What's your name? Hazel. And what's your full name? Hazel Grace Lancaster. Why are you looking at me like that? Because you're beautiful. Oh, my God. Let's go watch a movie. What? Hmm? Huh? As you know, Rafer, I was, like, bawling front of my dresses soaked level of ugly crying that just got this you whole thing. that just got you I, right in the sweet spot it didn't it did. it just and you know i love to cry you know our listener matthew in brooklyn actually suggested we have a new feature on the podcast called did it make Kristen cry <laughs> which pretty much the answer is always going to be That's yes right gonna, there'll be so few no's <laughs> <laughs> it's a good idea though but so much of my list this year i said you know what i'm not going to care about greatness or perfection or is it going to win an oscar i'm just going to think about how did it hit my core this year and the fault in our stars oh it just did just pure saline yes. for you okay <laughs> all right <laughs> Number eight, uh, I chose a film that really snuck up on me. Uh, oh. It grew on me the more and more uh, that I thought about it after I saw it. It's Big Eyes, Tim Burton's film about Margaret and Walter Keene. Margaret Keene, played by Amy Adams. Walter Keene, played by Christoph Waltz. Uh, this is the story about a couple of painters, and uh, they become famous for all those paintings. You've seen them, the giant saucer-eyed street waifs, sometimes sometimes holding a kitten, sometimes crying, sometimes crying and holding a kitten. You've seen them. The untold story is that uh, Walter took all the credit through the 1960s, but it was actually Margaret who did the work. Here's a clip. Why are their eyes so big? Like big, stale jelly beans. It's expressionism. It's not art. It's not art. It's like the back of a magazine. You know, draw the turtle, send in a nickel, win the big contest. How dare you? Lots of people will like this. Well, nobody who's walking the doors of this gallery... I'll give this to you, Rafer. Christoph Waltz is so he's, mesmerizing he's and hilarious. strange and funny in this. And Amy Adams is always a delight. And it's great seeing this backstory and the process. And I liked this movie quite a bit, too, but I couldn't make room on the top ten. Why did you make room on the top ten for this? I thought it was an, a really unusual biopic in so many ways. I thought it was just an oddball choice of subject and a really colorful, great backdrop. San Francisco, the Bay Area in the 60s, right on the cusp of the countercultural movement. I thought it was also an interesting way not just to talk about like art versus kitsch and, you know, the quality of art and who can be an artist or not. But it also talked about uh, Margaret Keene as a woman, as a woman trapped in this kind of madman era. You know, one of the reasons she doesn't take credit for her work is because the stuff would be more marketable if it came from a man. And if it came from a woman, it would just be seen as kind of saccharine and kitschy and awful, which a lot of people did regard it as. But with Walter behind it, creating this backstory about it, he got it to really sell. I just thought it was a really fun, great, inspirational, feel-good movie. I, I had this feeling like maybe it might become the King's Speech of this year. I don't think that's really happening. Mm, I don't think it's going to. I, didn't, I don't either, but I loved it. Anyway, what's, uh, what's your number eight, Kristen? My number eight is Obvious Child, Jenny Slate's movie. This is a you romantic. This movie. Yeah, it's a romantic comedy in which people fall in love who may be mismatched, people who feel that they should be adults by now, but are still doing what a lot of us in America do right now, including me, where you're like a certain age and you're not married and you're still having a lot of fun and going to parties and your social life's a big deal and maybe you're not fully grown up. Maybe you're an obvious child, like the title uh -huh. says. Um, and then it also includes an abortion in this. And I just think abortion is so normal and 
depending on the statistics that you're looking at, anywhere from one in three to one in two women have had an abortion in America. Yep. And I just I don't think it's something that gets treated as normal. And it should be because it's just so much a part of what it is to be alive right now in our era. And the movie treats it that way. And it doesn't glamorize it. It doesn't make it a tragedy. It just makes it something that this character is dealing with. And I thought it was beautifully done. It also reminded me of why I no longer date stand-up comics because they're very irritating. But here's a clip. Whoa. <laughs> You're really lasering into me with your pee-pee missiles there. What? <laughs> I, think I said that you were lasering into me with your pee-pee missiles. Are, are my eyes my pee-pee missiles? I'm not a doctor. So, so despite all the irritation, that still made that still made it onto your uh, number eight. Yeah, I really I felt it was a raw, honest, sweet, lovely movie, and I I love the love story in it. So yeah, obvious child, my number eight. All right, good. Okay, moving on. Number seven, I chose Whiplash. I love this movie. And as, as listeners oh. know, that Kristen and I both love this movie. Kristen, you placed it higher on on your list than even I did. Number four. This movie just, it surprised me. And again, going back to what I was saying earlier, movies that just emotionally hit me, this movie just was unbelievably, like, tense. And it's a music movie. Yeah. And it's, (laughs) well, it's got two of our favorite actors, Miles Teller, who plays uh, a young jazz drummer at kind of a Juilliard-ish conservatory in Manhattan, and the great J.K. Simmons. So good. Who plays his uh, abusive teacher. Here's a clip. Five, six, seven... Not quite my tempo. It's all good. No worries. Here we go. You're rushing. Here we go. Uh, Ready? Okay. Five, six, and... Dragging just a hair. Oh, gosh. I just loved this movie. The performances were great. The building of tension was great. And the surprises. There are moments where you have no idea that it's going to zig when it zags. And, oh... I just really enjoyed Whiplash. I loved it too. I think um, the ending, uh, it, it, to me, the ending is a little implausible, logistically, uh, motivationally. The ending kind of doesn't quite jibe. Oh, I was fine with it though. But I, but here's the thing: it works so beautifully thematically. It just it delivers such a great punch, and it's so unexpected and so well directed. I just I I still was just fell for it hook, line, and sinker. Oh yeah, and reminder to listeners: we did interview the writer director of this, and he's just a kid. Yes, just, I know. I know. He's just a sweet young thing. I yeah. saw him, Damien Chazelle. I think I saw him in uh, might have been an issue of uh, GQ. Uh, you know, modeling, doing some fashion oh. modeling for them. That sweet young him kid. And, uh, him and Justin Simeon as well. Oh, that's great. Uh, that's great. Okay. So number six, I chose a film that you really did not think much of at all. <laughs> I thought it was good fun. It wasn't one of the best of the year. We're talking about Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal. He plays a freelance L.A. crime reporter, videographer. He's running around Los Angeles trying to capture some bloody footage and sell it to a low-ranked bottom-feeding station in L.A. run by Rene Russo. Here's a clip. You were in Granada Hills last night. Yes, that's right. Shot the video in the house? Yes, ma'am, I did. That's right. You went inside the house? You filmed all through the house? You filmed the bodies? All before the police came? That door was open, ma'am. I just thought this movie was hilarious you and You also dark. thought it was smart. I did think it was smart. Not. It's just good fun. I think it is. I don't, I don't think what it's saying is anything sort of slap your forehead new, like holy mackerel. But I thought it was a really good, interesting, very well-researched and 
pointed look into this weird little world that I've never seen in a movie before. I thought Rene Russo was great. Jake Gyllenhaal is fantastic. The cinematography is extraordinary. It really captures that lonely, weird 4 a.m. feeling in L.A. I just thought it was wonderful. Mm. I thought it was good fun. Okay. I thought it was good fun, and I would recommend people watch it, but I would not put it in my top ten. Your However, number six. Yes. my number six, the one that definitely belongs here, In Secret. You love this movie. It was just a small movie that came out, I think it was like in February. It was very early this year. It has Elizabeth Olsen and Oscar Isaac, Jessica Lange, and it's just, it's like a strange three-act movie that you don't know what the next act is going to be. starts as a pastoral country story ends up being a very racy sex movie, and then it ends up being one of those maybe-we-have-to-kill-somebody sort of movies. And it is so surprising. Here's a clip. I've often dreamed of having a small shop again. Huh. See? A silver lining. You know, a few special lace pieces in the window, and... <laughs> well, you let me take care of everything, you naughty boy. I wouldn't dream of having it any other way, Mother. <laughs> we can leave right after the wedding. Oh, whose wedding are we going to? Well, yours, dear. <laughs> well, but who am I going to marry? Why, can me, of course. <laughs> Great cast in this movie, and I'm not sure why it didn't get a little more traction at the box office. Yeah, I don't know why. All the performances were fantastic. As you said, the cast is great. The costumes are beautiful. The way it's shot is fantastic. And again, just surprises, surprises, surprises galore. You'll walk out of there just thinking... That's not the movie I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of surprises, for number five, I chose Listen Up, Philip. Oh, yes, you did. A movie that you did not like very much. I feel horrible saying that because I loved Jason Schwartzman. He was so sweet when he came in to movie date. But I just, yeah, as much as I love him, this movie I just felt was mean well, and, yes. and not fun. I mean, it started off as fun in the first 20 minutes, and then it just started grating on me like an abusive boyfriend. <laughs> Which is exactly what Jason Schwartzman <laughs> is in this film. I think he's playing the opposite of himself, or at least at least the opposite of, of what you experienced, Kristen. He's playing uh, a novelist, and a young, budding novelist, arrogant, bitter, uh, competitive, treats everyone badly. He meets an older guy, kind of a Philip Roth-ish uh, mm, character, totally. who is sort of seems to be him in about 30 to 40 years. That's played by the great Jonathan Price. Mm, yeah. Here's a clip. Okay, could you stop doing that? It's really annoying. <laughs> I planned on going away for a week. You know this is important to me. I know, but it wasn't supposed to start for 10 days. They changed it. I don't know what to tell you. You're not being really supportive right now. You know this is an amazing opportunity for me. Tell me the good version of this conversation. You got the job? Congratulations, Ashley. I'm so happy for you. Although I admit to being a little disappointed, I understand that these things happen. I'm so proud of you, baby. That's basically what I said. I would never say that. So this was directed by Alex Ross Perry. This is, I think, perhaps his third film. I just thought it was so smart and insightful. I liked it because it was a cautionary tale that seemed to kind of be an antidote to all these other 20s movies that we've been seeing about life in New York where it's all about being young and struggling and I'm sleeping around and having a great time and everything will be okay in the end. And in this movie, it's something completely different. I just, I just think this movie has a real wisdom and insight to it, especially in a comedy that I have not seen in a long time. Um, but Kristen, you chose another another 
costume drama for your number five. Oh, you know I love hoop skirts. You, you know, do. I love a little bit of romance and a whole lot of taffeta. Yeah. If there's yeah. a bodice involved, you want it ripped off. I want it ripped off. And yes, <laughs> that's why I like Belle. Belle is uh, the, based on a, the true story of a woman born illegitimate. She's half black, half white. But the white side of her family are very, very, very respected, well-to-do aristocrats. And so she's very high-ranking in society on the one hand, but very low-ranking on the other. And it's just such an interesting movie um, about race and about class and also about being a woman and what options you have. Here's a clip. We shall be receiving visitors for dinner. Whoever bothers to visit us here. Or leave except the dead. (laughs) Once again, Dido. Beds, Aunt Mary. We should prepare some extra beds in case our visitors are to stay. May we wear the new silk? I will do your hair bed. (gasps) Oh, say we may wear them, Aunt Mary. You will not be dining with us, Dido. Of course. But I may join after dinner, may I not? Yes. Such are the rules, and you know them well. I just found it so fascinating in which cases this trumps that, trumps that. Yeah. When does gender trump race? When does race trump money? When does money trump... You know, I, it's just it just made for a really fascinating story and well-acted. And um, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, I think she's going to be a star. I think she is, too. Yeah, she's just terrific. I love her. And the rest of the cast is also very good. Tom Wilkinson, Emily Watson. It just, it, I just thought it was delightful, interesting, smart, and, and heartwarming, too. Oh. Yeah, all those things. <laughs> That's got you all over it, Kristen. Oh, yes. All right, number four. We both agreed again here. Again, I placed this movie I placed this movie higher. You placed it a little lower. Snowpiercer. Mm, we loved Snowpiercer. Great. It was such a surprise, too. It was such a surprise, and it really never became anything more than an art house hit. But it was a big hit on the art house circuit. Chris Evans, Captain America. So weird. Right. Leading a a band of revolutionaries. They're going to storm their way from the back of a train all the way to the front. The train, of course, is all that's left of civilization. It's uh, the, the planet has become basically a giant ice flow where nothing can survive. This train circles the globe chasing the sun. They're all living on it. And it's become kind of a classist dystopia. And Chris Evans is going to lead the revolution and take control of the engine. Here's a clip. You people who were in love with the benevolent Wilford would have frozen solid 18 years ago today. And now, in front of our hallowed water supply section, no less, you repay his kindness with violent hooliganism. You scum. Precisely 74% of you shall die. You know, this movie was just such fun visually. As you move from train car to train car, it's just so fascinating to see the different worlds that people are living in. Yes. Um, Much like Belle, it's a movie about class and a little bit about race. And you have a bunch of different languages being spoken on this train. Yes. And I just, I got sucked into this world. Yes, me too. It's really, it's visually really arresting, really fun. I just love the whole kind of structure 
which could go on forever, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it just depends on how many cars you want in the train. You know, do you could you know do we want a thirty? Do I want a thirty car movie or do we just want a ten car movie? <laughs> and so I do think that it, at some point the movie gets a little carried away and gets a little overlong. We talked about this. Harvey Weinstein wanted a uh, twenty minute cut. a twenty minute cut. I would agree with him, but I still thought this was just a fantastic movie and a, and a great sci-fi joyride. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't stop thinking about it afterward. I yeah. thought about it so much afterward. And I don't normally think about adventure movies for days and days and days afterward right. like I did with this one. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. What's your number three pick, Rafer? Oh, no. I see what it is. Yeah. Oh, Rafer. You're going to love it, Christian. It's the Lego movie. Oh. Boy, did I love this yes, movie. Yes, you did. You loved this movie. I just thought, you know, this was something so different for a kid's movie. Fun, smart. It all takes place in a Lego universe. Chris Pratt, again, is the voice of Emmett, a little yellow Lego figurine who is tapped to, again, lead a revolution <laughs> through the Lego universe. Will Ferrell plays Lord Business slash, uh, what is it? Oh, President Business. Yes. Lord yes. slash President Business, who's trying to glue the entire Lego universe <laughs> together and keep it all in place. Here's a clip. Go where we can't be found. Maybe we could go underwater. What if we went underwater? Great idea, babe. Thank you, Batman. Your ideas are the best. But hey, I just said that. We could build a submarine. A bat submarine patent pending. With the rainbows. And dream catchers in case we take a nap. Like an underwater spaceship. But you can't build all of them at once. Ready? Break. Break. Okay. These are the colors I need. Blue raspberry and sour apple. If anybody has black parts, I need them, okay? I only work in black. And sometimes very, very dark gray. Use the yellow bricks. Hey guys, can I help? No, it has to be this way. So this is the brainchild of Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Um, they've done a few turkeys here and there, notably 22 Jump Street. But I did think that this was just... I love 22 Jump Street. Yeah, you like that. <laughs> I loved it. Well, I thought the Lego Maybe I'm rewriting was... my list now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, put that in there. Put that in there at number one, Kristen. <laughs> well, anyway, whatever else they did, I think Lego Movie was just a work of brilliance. I think it's smart. It's funny. I think the animation, which is not stop-motion animation, but it's, it's computer-generated, but it looks like stop-motion. It's as detailed as stop-motion. The animation's lovely. I just thought it was a total treat. As you know, I thought I was going to have a seizure at a certain point, and I was quite disappointed <laughs> in the lack of female characters, considering how many girls love playing with Legos, too. I found that to be a real shock. They didn't think about girls. There's a girl in it. <laughs> There's a girl. Her name's Wild Style. Oh, gosh. It's just like the Smurfs. I will say, however, my niece and nephew love this movie. Oh, God, do my kids love this movie? My niece and nephew love this movie. Over the holidays when I saw them, they were quoting it left and right. Oh, yeah. They oh, love yeah. this movie. But it's not on my list. Instead, for my number three... I chose the imitation game. Aha. Uh-huh. You liked it that much. Oh, yes. Once again, we'll just say it. Listeners already know this. I'm a Cumberbatch. You love him. I love that Benedict Cumberbatch. And <laughs> in this movie, he's playing Alan Turing, a real guy, World War II hero who worked for the government in the UK. He was a code breaker. He created pretty much the first computer, I guess you could call it, um, or a predecessor to the computer. Yes. And... Uh, Winston Churchill once credited him with winning World War II. So here's a clip. Human brains can compute large sums very quickly. Even Hugh can do that. But I want Christopher to be smarter, to make a calculation and then uh, to determine what to do next, like a person does. Think of it. An electrical brain, a digital computer. Digital computer? Of course, after Alan Turing uh, did all that code-breaking, he was later uh, convicted of gross indecency and chemically castrated because he was found out to be gay. Yes. And this movie looks at all of his accomplishments during World War, World War II, as well as 
what happened afterward. And I just I thought it was beautifully crafted. I thought it was great acting. Some of it's very predictable. A lot of it's rah rah, you know, stand up and cheer. But it, you know, you mentioned the King's speech earlier, and you thought Big Eyes might be this year's King's speech. Yeah. I think the imitation game is this year's King's Speech. It's really possible, um, you know. I mean, the, in the uh, the Battle of the British Scientist films, uh, kind of kind of continues, right? Uh, uh, the imitation game versus the theory of everything. Uh, which one's going to be the big one? Yeah. You, which one did you like better, oh Kristen? Oh my gosh! As you know, the theory of everything is my number two pick for the year. You liked it just a little bit better. Just a little bit, and you know what? I bawled. Oh, of course, of you course, did. I was just crying and crying through the theory of everything, and I thought. They did such a great job in this movie, the actors, director, everybody who was involved in this movie, of somehow taking a spectacular, famous life of Stephen Hawking, somebody who's wildly famous, a household name, who can't even speak and can't move, and somehow making him understandable and flawed and alive and not on his own, but within the portrait of a marriage. Because this movie is really not so much about him as it is about his marriage to Jane Wilde. And uh, Jane Wilde, by the way, is played by Felicity Jones, who is just terrific in this movie. She's so smart and complicated and heartbreaking and not a victim either. Just that should be pointed out. Here's a clip. Leave me now. Are you going to talk about this or not? Please, just go. Is that what you want? Yes, it is what I want. So please, if, if you care about me at all, then please just go. I can't. I have two years to live. I need to work. I love you. You, 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 You've left. That's a false conclusion. I am shocked this isn't on your list, by the way, Rafer. I thought that you you love Felicity Jones. I do love Felicity Jones. And you like science. And I like science. And I love uh, Eddie Redmayne, who plays uh, Stephen Hawking. Yeah, and he does a great job at it. Just Uh, a great job. It is. It is a tremendous, tremendous acting job. And I have to say, I think if it were me, I would just give him that Oscar. I would give it to him. I think he's. Mm. I think it's the best performance of the year. The film itself just felt a little. I don't know what. I it just felt a little a little underwhelming to me for some mm. reason. It didn't quite it didn't quite grab me in a visceral way. That's all. But I, I I love the movie. I think it's a great a great movie. Oh gosh, all chambers of my heart were filled with tears and love for this. <laughs> I just loved it. I thought and it was apparently great. apparently there was no room in your heart. Nowhere on your list is my number two. My number two pick. Oh, I will explain. Birdman. I will explain. All right. I didn't get a chance to see it yet. Rafer, I'm so sorry. You gave me the DVD and I just, Ah. I've been so busy and I'm sorry. I I have a feeling once I see Birdman, I might need to rearrange my top 10. All right, Kristen. Well, I I think you have missed out on a fantastic movie experience. This has got Michael Keaton. He plays a washed up actor who once played a superhero. He's trying to mount a comeback on Broadway, turn himself into a legitimate actor, stop doing this Hollywood crap. He wants to uh, bring a Raymond Carver short story to the stage. He's beset at every turn by difficult actors, one played by Edward Norton, his own daughter played by Emma Stone. He's got an ex-wife. He's got a girlfriend, a terrible critic from the New York Times. The list goes on. Here's a clip. This is my chance to finally do some work that actually means something. It means something to who? You had a career, Dad, before the third comic book movie, before people started to forget who was inside that bird costume. You were doing a play based on a book that was written 60 years ago for a thousand rich old white people whose only real concern is going to be where they go to have their cake and coffee when it's over. I just think this film is so 
fun and fast and smart. Uh, it's so energetic. It's got such life and a kind of a feverish energy to it. It just moves like a freight train. Uh, Michael Keaton is fantastic. Emma Stone and Edward Norton, they've really got some of the best lines spoken to each other. Romantic slash satiric mm. slash I don't know what dialogue. Some of their lines are just fantastic. I thought it was great. Again, great score. Almost nothing but drums. Mm. Great score for this movie. I well, think you're going to like it. I'm excited to see it, and I'm so sorry that I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I, I'm going to do this, I promise, in the next week or so because I can't go into like awards season not seeing this. This is too buzzed about it. It's too important. I agree. I agree. And I think this is going to be a major contender for the Oscars, and Michael Keaton will be a contender as well. Excellent. Well, we have reached that point in the game, right, for that, that point where we have to talk about our number one movie of the year. Number one, Kristen. Something weird happened this year. We agreed. I know. Isn't that so weird? And we agreed on? Boyhood. Talk to me. But, Dad, I mean, why is it all on us, though? You know, what about you? How was your week? You know, who do you hang out with? Do you have a girlfriend? What have you been up to? I see your point. So we should just let it happen more naturally, right? That's what you're saying. Okay, that's what we'll do. Starting now. This movie was just not like anything else ever made. It was unbelievable. It was like being a part of a family and loving a child and watching it grow up. And, oh, Rafer, tell us more about it. Well, I mean, as everyone must know by now, it's the, it took about 11 to 12 years to film. And you watch this one Little boy, Eller Coltrane, grow from a first grader all the way up to his first day in college. It's an amazing movie. Uh, you know, I have one of the Oscar consideration uh, DVDs. Not, not that I'm an Oscar voter, but I, I get some of these DVDs. And I was going to give it to my wife, but I told her, you, know, you, you, can watch this, you can watch this at home. You can put it in the, in the DVD player or you can stream it or whatever and do it that way. But it's not going to be the same experience as when you walk into that theater and you walk out two and a half hours later having seen an entire life, a whole mm. life story in really, actually, physically unfolding on the screen. It's a really interesting experience, and it gives you a lot to talk about. So if, I know people are probably out there thinking, oh, I'll rent that. I really encourage you to go see it in the theaters. Yeah, and I will say this. Actually, while I was watching it, I was just living a life with these people, and I wasn't actually feeling the full power of it. And it was once I left the theater that exactly. I just could not stop thinking about it. And I felt I was a different person for having watched it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's just it's such a remarkable experience. And I have to say, although I didn't really think so upon, the, upon its release, I feel like it's probably going to be the best picture winner. Wow. I really do. Wow. I, I, and I'm, and I'm going I'm, to – I've finally gotten myself worked up uh, to the point where I'm, I'll be angry if it's not. Wow. Whereas at first I kind of thought, yeah, I don't know if that's an Oscar-type film. But now I feel like it's got to win. It just has to. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder if maybe it's just too experimental for Oscar voters. But all that being said, regardless of whether it wins any awards, I hope all of the movie daters out there will see this movie. It, it's really life-changing. And I just think about Eller Coltrane, and I said this before on the podcast, there were moments I just wanted to reach out and hold him. Oh, yeah that little boy, and then to see him grow up and see what he becomes, it's just, it's beautiful, and it's heartbreaking, and it feels so real. I, I just loved it. All right. Well, I'm glad we agree. So I guess that's our top ten, Rafer. That's our top ten. Your top ten, my top ten, our top ten. But it's not over yet, Rafer. It's not over yet. We... It's the never-ending movie date. 
stay with us because after the break, we'll have some listener mail. And as usual, there's trivia. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And Rafer, one of the great things that frequently happens here at Movie Date is our listeners write and call in because they're mad at us. Yeah, because I love we that. get stuff wrong. They need to correct us. Yeah. They need to sometimes they're not mad. They're just politely correcting us sometimes. Sometimes they actually are mad. Sometimes they, <laughs> sometimes they really are mad. That's true. So we have some uh, listener mail to get through this week. Uh Let's, let's, let's touch on a couple of these ones. So let's start with this one. Hi, Kristen and Rafer. This is Jessica calling from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I hope you guys are doing well and enjoying your holidays. I'm sure other people have pointed this out, but I just wanted to uh, let you know that I was listening to your podcast uh, with the episode where you were reviewing Night at the Museum, and you kept referring to Pocahontas as a character, and it's not actually Pocahontas, Sacagawea is the character that is recurring throughout the Night at the Museum uh, movies. Anyway, really enjoy the podcast and enjoy it, and I hope you guys have a happy new year. Bye-bye. Yeah, thank you for right, for calling in. Um, I am going to just have to follow my sword and call that a pretty glaring error. That's bad. That's horrible. <laughs> That's bad. I can't believe we did that. I'm sorry. I think that I think I started it too. I you know I have no idea. I've just it's it's too bad that we didn't that we couldn't keep that straight. We played into all kinds of Native American stereotypes. Just oh mixed up. Oh my god. Two major figures. And there's only like one woman in the whole movie and we can't keep track of her. Couldn't get her name right. There's so much wrong with yes, us right now. That's true. So, okay. Jessica, we are sorry. We're sorry to all the movie daters out there that was horrible of us. Yes. Um, we apologize. All right. Well, so we've we've done that. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for uh, for calling in. Uh, we've got one more. Last uh, podcast we were talking about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We made a, a case for that being one of the countercultural landmarks of the 60s. Transgressive. <laughs> uh, and we got this suggestion from a listener. This is Steve from Brooklyn, and uh, the kids are all asleep, and I'm done with the dishes and listening to the podcast that I missed from yesterday. But uh, the more interesting point that you can bring up or not or think about is the, 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 the missed opportunity in the Rudolph film and you're right about so much about that, and you're really on point with the whole thing. Um, but Herbie, the dentist, is this whole countercultural let's be, you know, let, let, let's be progressive and embracing thing. The, the abominable snowman should have had a toothache that was fixed by Herbie, because that was what was making him so obnoxious. Instead of just pulling all his teeth out, which is really a very conservative approach. Don't know snowman. Pull his teeth out. I'm a dentist. No, he's got a toothache. Make him feel better, and then he's part of the family. Anyway, just wanted to give you the one missing detail that you guys overlooked. Nice work, mostly. But I have to agree. I think I think yeah. they should have fixed his teeth. It's 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 almost like what we were talking about with the uh, with the imitation game. It's like they castrated him. Mm, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They de- they literally defanged him. Yeah. You're right. And you know, I I do understand why they did it. Why why they had to pull those teeth out? I guess so. Because because they weren't quite sophisticated enough yet. We're <laughs> making a lot of mistakes in this movie. Well, and they're trying to move forward, but sometimes when you're moving forward, you just make the same mistakes of the 
dominant patriarchy that you're trying to escape from. There, well, there you go. There. Right? That's why every time a coup happens, the coup starters end up being the same ruling class that's just going to hurt you later. That's very critical theory of you. Oh, Kristen. listen to that. I love it. The revolutionaries become the oppressors. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Steve, for thank writing you, in. Thank you, Steve. We really appreciate it. Now, let's get to that magic moment in the show when we talk about trivia. Hooray. Hooray, trivia. So last week, we played a clip of a famous holiday TV movie, a special. Here's the clip. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. You hear that? Yeah. It's the heavenly intonations of the Del Rubio triplets. We asked you, can you identify what that holiday special is? We got a lot of people calling and writing in, but we can only randomly pick one. So we picked Kevin Corpy. Kevin, which, who, by the way, Kevin starts off saying, Merry Christmas, Movie Date Podcast. Ah, uh, thanks. Thanks, Kevin. He says, for this week's movie trivia, that sounds like Pee Wee Herman. Though I haven't seen it, I'm guessing Pee Wee did have a Christmas special in the 80s when the show was popular. And we'll count that. Yeah, and I, and I think it's a pretty weird special. And it's star-packed, but kind of star-packed with weird people like Annette Funicello, Frankie Avalon, <laughs> Grace Jones, Katie Lang, Dinah Shore, Little Richard, and my favorite, Cher. Oh, of course, Cher. Magic Johnson and Whoopi Goldberg, by the way, and Zsa Zsa Gabor are also in it. It's just a really weird special. I highly recommend people check it out just because it's bizarre and it's on Netflix. And uh-oh, that's a twofer because I just gave a sweatpants recommendation. Oh, look at that. <laughs> look at that. Well, everybody who wrote and called in, thank you. What is this week's trivia, Rafer? Well, for this week's trivia, because we've been talking about the new year and new starts, we were trying to think of some movies that had pivotal, memorable New Year's Eve scenes in them. We thought of one. Here it is. I love that after I spend a day with you, I can still smell your perfume on my clothes. And I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. And it's not because I'm lonely. And it's not because it's New Year's Eve. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Love that movie. You love this movie. I love this movie. There's your hint movie. right there. Kristen <laughs> loves this movie. Did uh, Kristen cry? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> she, I'm sure she did. I love this movie as well. If you know it, as I'm sure many of you do, give us a call five seven one seven movies. Or you can always message us at facebook.com/slash/movie-date-podcast. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs>